Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to John 10. And as uh, we're getting those open and you're expressing your generosity toward uh, investing in the kingdom, which we appreciate, I just want to remind those of you that uh, maybe new here to Christ Church, or you've been attending for a season, and you think this is the place that you want to make your spiritual home and your spiritual family. Uh, we'd like to invite you next week at 10:45 during our third worship hour. We're having a next step coffee, and this is an opportunity for you to get questions answered, and opportunities to serve, and ways to get plugged in and make this your. Uh, your local spiritual community. And so if you're interested in that, you can go to our visitor center, our welcome center, and get some information about that next Sunday uh, during third hour. uh, That'll be available to you if you uh, would like to be a part of that. Uh, This morning, I'd like to begin, as we continue in our series through uh, the Gospels, I'd like to uh, begin in verse 22 of John 10 and read verses 22 and 23 and uh, kind of set the, the context of today's teaching. Then came the Feast of Dedication at at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. So let me give you the background. It was about 170 years before the birth of Jesus uh, that a Syrian king named Antiochus Epiphanes uh, hated the Jews and their religion and set out to capture Jerusalem and to destroy the Jewish people. Uh, He did capture the city. He killed, according to uh, historical accounts, 80,000 men, and sold 80,000 Jews into slavery. Devastated the region, took over the city, established Greek gods to be worshipped, placed idols uh, in the temple. The temple area, if you'd imagine, would be a a, a big area with a a building that was the temple itself, the temple proper, and then there was porches and and places for people to gather, and it was a a large area. And in those large areas, uh, he established prostitution, He filled the temple with Greek idols, and then he did the worst thing that a Jew could ever imagine. He took a hog and slaughtered it on the altar in the temple. The unclean animal being slaughtered on the temple defiled it, desecrated it, and devastated the people, the Jewish people, which is exactly what Epiphanes wanted to happen. There were a group of brothers led by Judas Maccabees who raised up an army to fight against the Syrian king and recapture Jerusalem and the temple, and they were successful. They defeated the Syrian. And one of the first things they did when they got back into the temple was to clean it out of all of the idols and all of the nonsense. And they wanted to light the lamp. There would be a lamp lit inside the temple that would remind them of God's ever-presence. And when they got into the temple, there was enough oil for one day, but they did what they felt they needed to do, and they lit the, the light, the candle, with the oil and thought it would just burn for one day and they would figure out what to do next, but it burned for eight days. And as it burned for eight days, they realized the presence of God was blessing them like he had with the Old Testament prophets. And so they established a ceremony that would take place. It was called the Feast of Dedication. It was to remind them of that. We now call it Hanukkah or the Festival of Lights. And for eight days, each one of the lights of a candelabra is lit, uh, is, is lit so that they could remember those eight days that God took one day's worth of oil and he sustained them and provided for them victory and great resolution to all of their fears. So why do I give you that history piece? Because if you look back at verses 22 and 23, it is the context for what's about to take place. In that historic moment, 
with remembering how God had provided a redeemer and had provided what they needed to worship him, they asked Jesus a question. Have you ever noticed that every question has a presumption behind it? When, as you get older, you'll learn this, that when someone asks you a question, you wonder why they're asking you the question before you actually pay attention to what the question is asking, right? For instance, if someone came up to you and said, if I ask you something, will you tell me the truth? You have to decide one of two things. Have I lied in the past, or do they want me to be direct and honest and not worry about their feelings, right? So being married 32 years, my wife comes to me and says, can I, if I ask you a question, will you tell me the truth? I'm like, oh no, because I've lied. But if she says, do you like this color? She's actually asking me to tell her whether or not I like that color. So it's an easy question. The other question could be awkward. If someone says, do you love me? You will instantly assess, should I? Have I? Do I? Are we in a good place or in a bad place? Are they asking because they love where we're at or are they asking because it's been a while since I've expressed it? Every question has within it an inherent, inherent presumption. And Jesus is going to be asked a question. You see, someone once asked my wife, Heather, they asked her this question, what first attracted you to Mark? Was it how ruggedly handsome he was, how charming he was, or how wealthy he was? Why are you laughing? I mean, I was the one who asked her that question, but I think it's valid. Every question has an underlying tone to it. Jesus is asked the question in verse 24. The Jews gathered around him saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, the word Christ there is ruined for us. What I mean ruined for us has become so familiar that we mistakenly think Jesus' entire name that he signed on his check was Jesus Christ. It's actually, Christ is a title. It's the word Messiah. They're saying to him, are you the Messiah? Remember, they're celebrating how Judas Maccabees and the army defeated Antiochus Epiphanes and, and cast him out and restored the temple. In that grand moment, they want a Messiah. They don't want this meek lamb. They don't want this gentle savior. They want Judas Maccabees. They want a ruler who's going to come in and destroy Rome and reestablish the light in the temple. This is what they're after. And they ask him the question, if you are the Messiah, would you tell us directly? Would you just say it? But remember, every question has a presumption. And we're going to find out when they ask the question, if you are the Christ, they really don't want the answer. They just want him to say it. Because by saying it, they can punish him. They're not really looking for the answer to the question they're asking. And they ask if, like they don't know. They've seen what he's done. They've heard what he's taught. They've been with him. They've been trailing him. They've been having this conversation over and over for two full years now. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's promised back in the Old Testament? Are you the one that Isaiah talks about and Jeremiah talks about and Daniel talks about? Are you the one that was promised to Abraham all the way back in Genesis where he said, and I will give you an heir and you will have a child and that child will become a great nation? They're asking this question. Their minds were geared toward pinning him to the wall. But Jesus answers the question they're really asking, not the one they think they're asking. And then as Jesus is apt to do, he answers their question by asking them one at the end of today's message. But he does respond. He doesn't directly answer their question, which is funny because that's what they asked him to do. He's supposed to say yes or no, but he says, let me explain. 
And here's the three pieces of evidence that Jesus gives to answer their question. The first is, his power is evidence for our faith. His power. Verse 25, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. He said, I've answered your question, not with words, with works, what I've done. See, in Isaiah chapter 35, the Old Testament prophet says that this Messiah, this one that will come in the name of God, that the lame will walk, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, and the mute will speak. He will come in God's power, and everyone will know that he is of the Lord because he will do what only God can do. And there they had seen Jesus raise a 12-year-old from the dead, heal a woman with a hemorrhage that she experienced for 12 years of suffering. He fed 5,000, then he fed another 4,000. He did it with the smallest of sack lunches. He opened the eyes of a blind man, and he healed a man at the pool of Siloam who had been an invalid. Check, check, check. Check. He had done everything that the Messiah was to do, and they knew it. He said, if you don't believe my miracles, you can't believe who I am. Because the signs, the miracles were signs that the Messiah was here. And they would not open their hearts to them. I'm sure every single one of these men and women that were questioning Jesus regularly, every single one of them had something Jesus could have fixed for them but they were not open to it. Jesus wasn't antagonistic toward them. He loved each and every one of them. They just would not receive him. You see, it's not just the evidence of the power of Jesus that sways our hearts. It's the experiencing the power of Jesus that will change your heart. And they weren't open to it. So it not only was his his power, but his authority is evidence for faith. He continues on in verses 26 and 27. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. They listen. They take the action. They respond. So Jesus went from talking about his works to his words. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, concerning this great Messiah, this is what's said about him. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites and I will put my words in their mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So he's going to come and he's going to speak words and they're going to be my words. And if you listen to them, they will free you. And if you don't listen to them, there will be an accounting for it. Jesus is claiming, he said, I speak for God. And they will not let him guide him. They will not listen to his voice. They will not see his works and they will not listen to his words. Max Cicado is a preacher in Texas and he tells a, a, a a story about his two daughters. His oldest daughter was five, and it was time for her to get her big girl bike. Two wheels, banana seat, the pink color she wanted. So they took her to the store to have this moment with her where she could pick her bike, and her three-year-old sister, Andrea, was with them too. And when she saw all the pomp and circumstance of getting her bike, and they, were, they paid for it, and they were carrying it out to put in the car, the three-year-old decided to tell her daddy she wanted her big girl bike too. And... Max said he explained to his daughter that she was too tiny, she couldn't handle it, it was unsafe, and there'd be a time when she got a little bit older that she would get a bike just like her sister, but she was not going to be changed in her mind. She had decided she needed a bike too. And her father debated with her over and over as gently as he could, and finally, when he realized she wasn't going to be moved, he simply said to her, honey, daddy knows best. And he said that she responded loud enough for everyone in the entire store to hear, then I want a new daddy. (laughs) 
It is human nature that we want Jesus to be what we want Jesus to be. And we attend church to get from Jesus what we want. And we get connected to Christianity because it sure sounds better than going to hell. And if Jesus would just do A, B, and C, then I could follow him. But please understand, Jesus will not be defined by our expectations. He will be defined by his own holiness. He doesn't change who he is to please us. He changes us to be pleased by him. And in this moment, we all cry out, I want a new daddy, because disappointment demands a change. They're asking Jesus this question, and he's saying to them over and over, know my words, listen to what I'm saying. It's been prophesied that I will speak on behalf of my Father, and if you listen to my words, you'll become my sheep, and you'll hear my voice, and you'll come and go as I call you. And I will be a good shepherd. I'll protect you, and I'll lay down my life for you. We talked about that just a few weeks ago in the beginning of this particular chapter. You see, there's a convincing statement that I read this week that echoes our message last week on Mary and Martha and sitting at Jesus' feet. That there's, there's some familiarity that we gain the more time we spend with Jesus and his words. There's a familiarity you and I gain when we sit at Jesus' feet and we read about his miracles and we place ourselves in those moments to understand his goodness, his kindness, his patience, his healing, his power and his authority. If we don't spend time to think about that, we just won't think about Jesus. And when the world calls us to think about what is greater than themselves and what is greater than their threat and what is greater than their their promises, it's the promises of Christ that we've meditated on and thought on and we've spent time with and we've experienced. It's his power and it's his authority that we've experienced for ourselves. Faith opens itself up to that. The third piece of evidence he gives is his peace. His peace is evidence for faith. And this is not a peace, and uh, I love it. Uh, Adam was talking about that just a few moments ago when he was asking about our giving, our gifts toward the kingdom, was that the grace of God can't be compensated for. You can't pay God back. You, you just receive it. And verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And he answered their question. But in a bit of irony that he said that you wouldn't hear my voice. So when he answers their question, it's not the question they ask. It's the question they needed answered. See, because we read, my father and I are one, and we think, yeah, we're close. No, 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 the Lord our God is one. And you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. They understood what Jesus just said there, but that's not the way they wanted him to say it. So they become upset, but Jesus gives us hope. He said, I've come not only to give you the demonstration and signs of my being the Messiah by miracles, but I've come to give you words of life and hope to hold you. And then I've come to give you peace, but this peace can't be fabricated by you and me. It has to be received. You see, we live in a world that has Jesus coming down on the final day of the judgment. And the skies are going to unroll and the power of Christ is going to come and he's going to appear before all men. And it says every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Some will bow willingly and some will bow with great regret. And we have this picture of Jesus looking at the crowd and going, I like you and you and not you so much and not you at all. And he's going to separate the sheep and the goats, right? He's going to put all the people he never really cared for across the room and all these Pharisees who questioned him and doubted him to stop. That's not biblical. That's what artists put together 
That's what our minds say because we live in a works mentality where I have to earn this, earn this, earn this. If I don't earn it, I'm going to be left out. And that's not who Jesus is. You see, when Jesus comes down on that day, when the Lord of lords and King of kings places his feet back onto earth and he's with us and he's creating the new heavens and the new earth, those that go to the new heavens and the new earth are not any different than those who don't. The difference will be this. Those that enter into the new kingdom received what Jesus gave them. Himself. And those who don't enter into the new kingdom will be those that rejected what Jesus gave them himself. Go back to the Passover in the book of Exodus. And those that were spared from the angel of death and life were those that put the blood of a lamb on their doorpost. That's all they were asked to do by faith was to sacrifice and place that blood on the the doorpost. And that angel would go by and see the sign of faith and respond to it. The difference between those who receive Jesus and don't receive Jesus are simply those who do or don't receive him. Him, personally. And accept the blood of the cross as the sign that they have received his life for theirs. His atoning blood and his truth. And with that comes something that brings peace. You see, what he says here is that Nobody can snatch them out of my hand, verse 28. Nobody can snatch them out of my father's hand, verse 29. You see, there's great security there, isn't there? To know that if we give ourselves to Jesus, there is nothing on this earth that can take us from him. And there's a power. Because my father who has given them to me is greater than all. There's a security and a power, and it's a perfect balance. And when you have security and power, when you are in control, you have peace. But I'm here to tell you that the peace that you and I have is not because we're in control, because we're not. It's those moments in life where I look back at my parents and I think, wow, what I put them through. Anybody else ever have that thought? I knew how much I put my parents through the first time... We threw keys to Alex at 16 and he drove away without one of us in the vehicle. Now I realize with him driving me in the passenger seat, I wasn't that much in control, but I felt like it. But when that 16-year-old popped in his car and started to drive away, here's the first thought that entered my mind. He has no clue how much power he has at his disposal and how insecure that really is. Parents, can I have an amen? All the students are rolling their eyes right now. You'll be a parent one day and we'll roll eyes at you. Because when someone you love drives away with that much power at their own control and they're unaware of how risky it is, it's a dangerous thing. So I've got good news for you today. The peace that Jesus brings has nothing to do with you. It can only be set on him. He is the one who keeps us secure. He is the one who has the power over all things. That doesn't mean our lives are going to be easy and it doesn't mean that everything's going to fall just perfectly in line because we follow Jesus. No, it means he's going to lead us to death And yet death has no threat to us because he overcame it. The blood on the doorposts will be our Passover. And the blood of the cross will be our freedom. And it brings us peace to know that Jesus has in control what we will never have in control. So what will you you and I do with the answer? You see, they understood when he said that I and the Father are one. Verse 31, again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. 
the Jews had what they wanted. When he said, the, Lord, or, the Father and I are one, he actually was declaring, the Lord our God is one. And they knew what that meant. In a moment, remember back to the history where we started, in a moment where they were celebrating that God had provided for them with their measly bit of oil, God had provided eight days of light. In a day that they were looking for a new beginning to remind themselves that God had restored what had been taken from them. In that moment, Jesus was offering himself to them and their response was to kill him. And they said, how dare you call yourself God? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, it is, not, is it not written in your law, I have said you are gods? He's quoting the 82nd Psalm. If he called them gods in the 82nd Psalm, to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father sent apart as his own, very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? See, what started with the question is ended with the question. Why are you surprised that God would send his son to do the things I'm doing, to say the things I'm saying, and to provide what's there? Do not believe me unless I do what my father does. Verse 37, do not believe me unless I do what my father does. But if I do it, even though you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp, and I have no idea how. Always irritates me. I'll bring it up every single time. They get him to the edge, they have a rock near his head, and he's just gone. It's good to be God. (laughs) Jesus says to him this way, isn't it funny that the messengers in the Old Testament who spoke on behalf of God were called gods with a small g in the Psalms? that they would represent him. They would be a reflection of him. They would be representing him here on earth by their words and their actions and their calls to duty. And Jesus said, isn't it funny that when the Son of God, the one who's promised above all, the Messiah will come, he will be called the Son of God, Daniel, the Son of Man. And he will come and he will represent the kingdom and you will kill him because he called himself a god. What started with the question ended with the question. It echoes in Matthew 3 when on his baptism, God cried out, this is my son whom I love. With him, him I'm well pleased. So what would happen in Luke chapter 9, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. So Jesus has placed the challenge in front of us. Unless I do what my father does, don't believe me. But if I do, if I reflect the father and the father's goodness, if you meditate on the things, if you discover who I am, if you listen to what I've said and what I've done, if you, if you pay attention to it, if you sit, Mary, at Jesus' feet and contemplate and meditate and process, why was he so loving? Why was he so kind? Why was he so gracious? Why did he teach what he taught? Did he live that out? How did he demonstrate that? And then read through the rest of your New Testament and see how the early church captured the concept of the Messiah. They didn't base it on their own goodness. They didn't base it on their own best behaviors. They based it on who Jesus was. The challenge today is, have you investigated whether or not Jesus has done what the Father did? Is he not God on earth? walking among us, walking in mercy and hope. If you're not a Christian, my invitation to you this morning is the difference between those who enter the new kingdom and those who are left outside of it, suffering for their choice, 
is simply the choice they made. Having never investigated Jesus or contemplated who he was or what he did, they never received him. They never opened themselves up to him. And if you're not a believer today, my challenge is you recognize there is one God and Jesus is that God. And he came to demonstrate the character of God and he came to demonstrate the mercy of God and the love of God and the kindness of God. And the cross is not something he did begrudgingly. He went to the cross so that you and I would understand the mercy and love of God. God is pursuing every single one of us with great passion. He wants to guide your life and be a shepherd that protects you and guides you and trains you and focuses you so that he can deliver you. And if you are a believer, I hope you took some time this week to sit at Jesus' feet. And I know you may have tried it for a day or two and it just feel, felt awkward. Everything's awkward the first time you try it. Will you sit at his feet? Will you spend some time going against what the world is telling you is most important and remember how Jesus lived his life and how freeing and beautiful and glorious it was. He's challenging us. If I don't do what the Father does, then don't pay attention. But if I do, you see, what started with the question ends with the question, but this question's direct. Do you believe he's the son of the living God? Do you believe that he came to this earth to redeem us from the tragedy we brought on ourselves? That he can right every wrong and dry every tear and bring a smile to the hearts of every single person who understands the hope. His works were a sign, his words were a sign, and his peace is a sign. It's a sign that he's real. Will you investigate him? Slowly, carefully, Look into the scriptures and see who Jesus Christ is and come to the cross and take a knee and say, my Lord and my God, and find out what it means to be alive. This morning, if you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, the elders are going to join me up front. There are two tables to my right and left. And we're going to be standing at those tables to have a time of prayer with anybody who'd like to be prayed with. Or if you have a decision that you want to make, spend some time asking yourself the question, is he... God, and is he doing the work of God as promised in the word? And if today's the day you want to make a decision to follow him, we would celebrate with you life in Jesus. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.